0: I want to give you guys just a a quick encouragement and exhortation from the first 11 verses of 1 Peter. And I want to encourage you guys uh, that this is not about guilt. You know, this whole day, Adoption Sunday, is not about guilt. It's not about, why aren't you adopting? Why aren't you doing foster care? It's not about that at all. It's about love. It's about um, the love that we see in Christ and the love that we can show through Christ. It's about us understanding that the love that, that God is and that God demonstrated through Jesus is a love that's willing to suffer. And so this is what we want to see. It's what we want to talk about today. So if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray. And then we're going to get into this together. Don't worry, it's not going to be as long as a normal sermon. But let's start in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, God was preached, or I'm sorry, the gospel was preached to those who are dead, that they may be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with a supply uh, which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Father, we pray that you would take your word and use it to change our hearts, Lord. Would your Holy Spirit move in us, Lord so that we would have our hearts softened towards what it means to know your love and to show your love. Lord, that we would be willing to turn from those things that distract us or compete with our affections for you. That, Lord, you would do what it takes to make us sober, to make us loving, Uh, Lord, to, to live as we are yours. Please, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, amen. Amen. So the first couple verses in this chapter make it clear that suffering is a part of God's plan. Peter writes, he says, "Since, since Christ suffered for us, Christ suffered according to God's plan, arm yourself with the same mind. In other words, like Jesus, be prepared to love at all costs. And we're going to talk more about how Christ showed us that love, how Christ suffered for our sakes toward the end. But notice he also says, For he who has suffered, this is still verse 1 of chapter 4, For he who has suffered in the flesh, that is in their regular life, has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So Peter's comparing two things. He's saying, okay, there's kind of two ways to live. We can live like the Gentiles, that is like, uh, not just in this, con- in this context, it doesn't mean non-Jews, it means non-believers. We can live like non-believers who live in, for their own desires, for their own appetites, or we can learn to desire what God desires. We can learn to live for the desires that God has for us. There's this great verse in Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, That doesn't mean if I say, God, I'm happy in you, can I please live next to the beach and surf every day, that that's going to happen. That doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that as I delight myself in God, as I recognize who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus, he actually directs the desires of my heart. So I begin to start wanting what he wants, desiring what he desires. And a big thing he uses is suffering. He uses suffering to direct our affections, to show us that even though life can be difficult and the things that he calls us to are challenging, those things turn our hearts towards him. And they transform our hearts to become more like his. But suffering also, listen, it's a means, it means that we're not wasting our life. When we suffer, especially when we suffer for the things that are good, when we suffer for things that are good, we're recognizing, you know, I'm not wasting my life. In verse 3, he says this, you've spent enough of your past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles, living like an unbeliever, he says. You used to, we used to walk in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness. He talks about uh, drinking parties. He talks about abominable idolatries. And, and what really Peter's getting at is he's saying, listen, you've, you used to live this certain way, but now it's time to exchange that Those self-defined pleasures, you need to exchange those for God's standards. To to follow Jesus, that's what it means. It means you say, okay, I used to live this way, but I want to change that. I want to exchange that for something new. Lewdness and lust, those things get exchanged for a more self-giving sex in the confines of marriage. Drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, those get exchanged for authentic celebration, a reason to have real lasting joy abominable idolatries that's just basically us kind of making it up our own ideas of God and worshiping God the way we think makes us feel good no we exchange that for authentic worship where we worship God in truth now I want to be really clear here that 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 Peter is not saying the scripture does not teach that pleasure is bad it doesn't teach that in fact listen to this the psalmist says this in Psalm 16, 11. He says, show me the path of life, how I should live my life. For in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our God is the God who invented pleasure. He's, he's the one who defines how we experience pleasure. And so the problem is, when we live for pleasure, we don't experience pleasure the way God defines. When we live for pleasure, you don't know we we experience? Disappointment lack of satisf- satisfaction, frustration. But when we decide, I want to live for you, Lord, I want, to, I want to be willing to have a mindset that is prepared to suffer, if we live that way, guess what happens? We begin to experience authentic pleasure, what God has for us. In verse 4, he says this. He said, In regard to these things they, that is, unbelievers, think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipations. a big word, just means wastefulness. And they speak evil of you. So, so part of the suffering uh, showing that we're not wasting our life means that we're willing to be marginalized. We're willing to be put off to the side. And I'm sure the Davies could tell you that there are some people that when they see Harley and Daisy kind of uh, going off, that they kind of look at them strange or think, what are you doing? Can't you control your children? My daughter Savannah tells a, a really traumatic story of when she was, just as a childminder, uh, the child that she was uh, watching was freaking out over a piece of chocolate cake. She really wanted a chocolate cake and the restaurant had no chocolate cake. And so she's, she's calmly dealing with this child and trying to, to, to get her to, to go in her car seat and do, or, her, or her pram and do what she's supposed to do. And some man basically just starts telling Savannah off. Mm. Can't you control your child and this and that? And Savannah had grace. She she was able to control herself, so she walked outside and someone said, you did a good job there. Then she lost it, bless her. (laughs) Started crying. And it's funny because when you're just trying to do something like even raise a child or watch a child, people can think, can't you just kind of keep those loud, smelly children out of my way? And how much more when we choose to have a large family, if we can, or we choose to adopt many kids, if God calls us to that, people will sometimes think, what is wrong with you? Why would you want to do such a thing? And you will feel marginalized. But following Jesus, part of following Jesus is being willing to be marginalized. People think it's strange that you don't have the same priorities that they have anymore. I think of Adam and Emma. You know, I think if, uh Adam chose to work full-time. Sometimes he has to work more than he'd like to. But if he chose to work full-time, he could do even better for himself financially. And he's choosing not to do that. Why? Because he and Emma want to, you know, they want to focus on their kids. And I'm sure people think, well, what are you doing? You could have so much more. The truth is, the reality is, listen, God calls us to not waste our life, but sometimes it hurts when we're trying not to waste our life. It's painful. Interesting. We get to verse uh, 5 and 6, and Peter starts talking about judgment. And at first, when you read this, it sounds like God's saying, oh, don't worry about, the like Peter's saying, don't worry about those people that are marginalized you. God's going to get them. But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's talking about here is this reality that God is going to bring a judgment. And that is actually good news. Because you know why? Listen, think about why Think about why there's such a need for foster care and adoption. Think about how families are so much more broken. Think about the consequences of the choices of generation after generation of people. What happens when people get addicted and their their kids are raised in that environment? What happens when people can't break the cycle of poverty and then their children are raised in that environment? What happens when people have children that weren't actually wanted and then they have to do something with those children? Think about that. Why do those things happen? They happen because people make choices that aren't good. And then they raise kids who end up making choices that aren't good. And we think, gosh, this child was abused. How could God let this child be abused? One of the hardest things about being involved in foster care, Sarah and I have done foster care both in the US and here. And one of the hardest things about being involved in foster care is knowing how damaged the children are that you're looking after. And it makes you angry. You think, man, Lord, what were these parents thinking? Or why didn't the system deal with us in a better way? That was oftentimes our experience in doing foster care was the things could have been dealt with much earlier if the system would have done it better. And it's frustrating you think, where's the justice in this? And then you, you realize, well, there's good news that one day there's going to be a perfect justice when the Lord brings judgment. And it motivates us because we, we, we worship a God who is just. We want to pursue justice by taking care of these that have been treated often unjustly. But also in, when he talks about in verse 6 the, the, the gospel being preached to the dead. He's not talking about physically dead. He's talking about spiritually dead. And the idea there is that God's not just a God of justice but God's a God of mercy. We see that in Jesus That though Jesus is also the judge, he made it really clear. You can read the book of Revelation and know he's going to come back the judge. It's really clear. But he's also this great God of mercy. That Jesus showed mercy to people that the religious establishment wanted to chuck out. He showed great mercy. And he calls us, listen, to be ministers of mercy. Those who proclaim the mercy that he showed, that he provided for in his death and resurrection that we claim that is the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. He calls us to proclaim that kind of mercy. Now, this is interesting because, again, we're talking about suffering, and we're talking about suffering means that we're not wasting our life. And that means, listen, because we believe that this God is a God of justice, we want to preach the gospel to people. Not just with words, but with actions. We want to demonstrate the gospel. Let me read to you some scriptures from the uh, book of Romans. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like the way it translates this. It starts off by saying, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We live in a season, a time, where things are still broken. They've been broken since the very beginning when Adam and Eve chose to fall. We still live under that brokenness. We're still under that curse. And God allowed it to happen. But the reality is, he says, that we look forward to a day when we're going to be freedom, f- completely free from that curse. This world's going to be free from that sin. A world we all want. Well, there won't be this injustice. Well, there won't be a need for foster care and adoption because all these broken things will be done. And he says later on in the same chapter, he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for, uh, of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Now listen to me. What, what Paul is saying in Romans 8, what Peter is saying here, is that the suffering that we go through as believers, as Jesus followers, that suffering always has a purpose. Now, one of the things that keeps us from loving the way Jesus calls us to love, for loving like him, is because it hurts. It's costly. We don't want to get close to people that are different than us. It's too much effort to be their friend. We don't want to open up our home. It's too costly of our time or our treasure. Or too disruptive to the little castle we're trying to build for ourselves. We don't want to commit to service because, well, you got other things that we want to do. So often we don't want to love because it's costly. But listen, have you ever thought about that in paying that cost, in being willing to suffer that way, that maybe God's using that to communicate something of his good news to somebody? That when people see you suffering? See, if we, if we try to sell to you, you should do uh, foster care because it's so beautiful and every story ends up well, we'd be lying. People do foster care and they get connected to their kids, to these kids that they love and then those kids get taken away and put somewhere else and it's painful. Oh, you should adopt because guess what's happened? You're going to adopt and it's always going to be rosy. Well, we just heard a testimony. It's not always rosy. It's difficult. It's testing. Oh, you should really reach out to the families that are doing this. You should volunteer some time to help with kids ministry because we need extra help when we have kids with special needs in kids ministry. You should do that. It's wonderful and fulfilling. Well, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's just plain exhausting. But maybe, maybe when you are doing this, when you're choosing to say, God, I want to love even though it hurts. I'm going to love even though I'm suffering. That maybe people are seeing that it's hard, and you do it anyway. And that is testifying to them the truth of the gospel. This is what Paul's saying. Yeah, we live in a sin-cursed world. We can't wait till this junk is over and done. But the truth is, until that time, what do we do? We suffer out of love. We choose to go through difficult times because we trust God's promise it's all going to work together for good for those that are called. Now, Peter gets practical in verse 7. He says, For the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Interesting, the word for serious and the word for watchful. They're both words that have to do with not being intoxicated. It doesn't mean, you know, don't drink if you're praying. It's probably a good idea not to drink if you're praying, but that's not really (laughs) the point. The point is, is that we should be those who are thinking soberly about the fact that we live in this cursed time. That we still live in a world that's broken by sin. And therefore, rather than being blasé or apathetic or lazy, we need to be intentional We need to be careful. We need to be thoughtful about our prayers. Now we quoted from Psalms a couple times and and I don't know how how much experience each of you has with the book of Psalms, but I really encourage you to read the book of Psalms and learn to pray the book of Psalms. Because one of the great things about the Psalmists was they were painfully honest about how difficult life is here under the sun. How hard it is to live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, reading right now, we're reading Job in our, Bible, uh, in, our, in our Bible plan for the church. And I've read Job several times, but I'd say, I just, every time I go through it, I think, gosh, I can't wait to get to the end. But you know what's interesting about Job? You get to the end and you realize there's still not a clear answer. God never tells Job why he did what he did. All he tells Job is, this is who I am. So Job never gets the answer that he wants. Why, God, did you let me go through the kind of suffering that none of us would ever can even imagine going through? Why? God doesn't say it's why. God says it's who. Who, who. who do you know, Job? Who do you trust? This is why we pray when things are difficult. This is why we want to be sober and watchful in our prayers because the reality is we need to pray through our suffering, through the difficult relationships, through the, just how hard life can be. Even when we don't understand Then in verses 8 and 9, he talks about something that almost seems out of place. Verse 8 seems to make sense. He says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. He quotes then Proverbs, for love will uh, cover a multitude of sins. The word for fervent there means, don't think of like, I'm really uh, like an emotionally hyped up thing. Like, I'm excited about loving. Think more of a, like, I'm in, being intentional. That's what the word means. That you are, you're purposefully intentional about how you're going to love. But then, connected to that, he says in verse nine, "And be hospitable to one another, uh, to or be hospitable to each one." I'm sorry, to one another without grumbling. Now, I don't know about you, but it, doesn't it seem kind of weird? He's talking about all this really heavy stuff. You're gonna, you need to turn away from. You need to exchange the way you used to live as a, as a, as an unbeliever and now live as a follower of Christ. And you know, you need to be sober about life. It's a very difficult uh, life that we live. We need to make sure that we're preaching the gospel because we know God's a God of justice and mercy. And then he says, oh, and make sure you have people over for dinner. It seems odd, doesn't it? It seems odd because hospitality doesn't mean have people over for dinner. (laughs) That's how we apply it. Not a bad way to apply it, but that's kind of at the low end of hospitality. The word literally means, listen, it means loving strangers. It means loving strangers. Loving people you don't know as if they were your family. That's what it means. Does that not sound like adoption and foster care? Is that not radical hospitality? You know, when uh, our kids were smaller, there was a season where people wouldn't invite us over for dinner, and they would even tell us sometimes. They'd say, well, we, we don't think we can fit you in, your, in our house, you know, and, and so, so sorry. And it was interesting because um, I understood, I mean, some of these people they had some pretty small houses, and, and even though our kids were pretty mellow, still seven of us is a lot but it made me really think about you know us and yet you still say sorry I we can't have you over for a meal now my kids don't want to go they just it's, so, it's just Sarah and I so if you want to invite us over it's just two of us you can do that <laughs> but, but, the, but the reality is listen the reality is a lot of that comes from what I don't want to be uncomfortable I don't want to love if it's uncomfortable mm. can you imagine can you imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but yours will be done, unless it's a bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure about the cross. That's going to be uncomfortable. And, and think about it. Jesus was dying for people who hated him. He was dying for people whom he, humanly speaking, didn't know. That's the love of strangers. You see, what we're talking about here is we're talking about a suffering that comes with living for the benefit of others. This is what we're talking about. This is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. It doesn't mean we try to find pain. We look for pain. It doesn't mean that at all. We're not those who are called to pursue pain. What it means is, as it says in verse 1, we arm ourselves with the mindset that Jesus had, which was, I'm willing to love at all costs. I'm willing to love even when it hurts. I'm willing to pursue relationships that are costly. I'm willing to make commitments that make me suffer. See, hospitality is a literally a love for strangers, and that includes, of course, it's not limited to, but it includes orphan care. James says it this way: Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. James says, "Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you." Isn't that what he was talking about earlier? The, the refusing to let the world corrupt you is what he was talking about earlier. Peter was in our text, and Isn't it what we see here, this kind of love that's willing to suffer, radical hospitality? Listen, it's the reality is most of you are not going to be called to adopt. Most of you are not going to be called to foster care. But all of us should have a heart that says, Lord, we want to endure with one another, bear with one another, love one another, and support one another so that people can see that's the kind of God you are. You're that loving, you're that good. In fact, that's what brings up these last two verses in 10 and 11 where he says that each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now some of us, in fact, this is kind of where Sarah and I are at, we, we, we talk about uh, foster, doing foster care in the future. We may do that again. Not sure, something we need to pray about. What we've done, like I said, we've done foster care in the past, but right now what we feel like we need to do, what we need to do right now is speak on this. We set aside, and you know how protective I am about the pulpit, so we set aside one day a year to make sure that this issue gets back in your faces again. This is something that we think is biblical. The book of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 31. It says, speak for those, this is basically a mother saying to her son who's a king, he says, speak to those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Are we not poor and needy? Are not those who need to be adopted and fostered poor and needy? Are not their parents who are wrestling through these things poor and needy? It also means meeting practical needs. He says in verse 11, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. We can only meet practical needs as God provides. I've, I've heard uh, people say, you know what, God's really called me to, to, to fund some stuff, so I'm going to go take out a loan to fund stuff. I, think that's, I don't think that's of God, because God says don't get in debt unnecessarily. So if you're getting in debt, that's a bad idea. So, so don't do that. I'm not talking about doing that. But let's be honest, can we be more generous Whereas those who are in need think about just when we talk about the issue of hospitality do you know how much it means to 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 other people that you have them around do you know how much that means to them i, I have no idea who who it was but um a couple uh, i know I, well, I know who the couple is the couple was talking to us about we had a couple over for the Summer Challenge, and we were talking about them. Hey, who else have you had over? And they were saying, oh, we had this, and then these people, but they didn't work out. We did ask a couple. They didn't tell me who it is, and I didn't want to know. But they said, we did ask a couple, would you like to come over? And they said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, I was kind of shocked by that. I'm glad I don't know, because I, I wouldn't want to shame that person but, or that couple. And, and I guess you know, maybe the date was wrong, but they didn't say, it won't work for us now. Can we set another their date? It was just like, no thanks. I don't want to know you. Look, I'm not saying that whoever did that, if you're here today, if you did that, I'm not saying you're not a believer in Jesus, but you're not acting like a believer in Jesus when you do that. God calls us. Even if you thought, these people are just so different than me, I'm not going to get on with them. That's fine. Suffer. <laughs> Jesus calls you to suffer. <laughs> but you think you're all so lovely? Think I like having you guys around all the time? <laughs> Amen. My job's not always easy. Now, again, this really isn't about guilt, but it is about love. It is about us recognizing that God calls us to love this way. That we of all people should be those who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of those who are in need, for the purpose of demonstrating who Jesus is and what he's done to save people. We of all people should do this. He talks about the manifold grace of God, the many faceted grace of God. God wants to use us like a mosaic. You guys know what a mosaic is? It's like often they're made with tile, they're little broken, dis- discarded pieces of tile that an artist will gather together and make some beautiful picture out of. That's what we are a mosaic. And sometimes, even with the broken pieces, they have to be broken even further to fit into the picture the artist is wanting to make. But when the artist is done, that picture is beautiful, it's attractive, it communicates something powerful. This is what God wants to do with us. This is where adoption and foster care really fit in. Us being willing to do something that radical or support something that radical so that the face of Christ can be seen in us. I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. And we're going to close with a song. And I want you guys to think about something. It's the verse started off, the section we read today started off, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Do you understand what that means? Do you know what it means that Christ suffered for us? Do you know what it means that Christ suffered for you? Now we we see what happened to Jesus, and in one sense it was a massive crime. He was innocent, and he was crucified as someone guilty. But in another sense, it was completely and utterly his choice. He says in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I take it back up. That's what he said. He chose to suffer. Why? Just to set a good example? It definitely sets an example for us, but is that why? No, listen. Christ died for us so that our sins, all the things that we've done wrong against God, all the things that we do wrong against each other, those things could be forgiven And he rose from the dead to prove that what he did was enough and to make a way for us to be declared innocent, guilty people declared innocent in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. He suffered to bring us into his family. The Bible says we've been predestined to adoption. We read it this morning, it was on the screen. To be adopted into God's family. And because we're adopted into God's family, we get to do something that only God the Son got to do before he creates the universe. We get to call God Father. Some of you guys grew up in, in homes where your relationships weren't the greatest. For some of you, the idea of Father isn't, uh, holds a lot of baggage, it doesn't hold a lot of peace. But Christ suffered for us to redeem who our Father is, to see or to see, to redeem our concept of Father so we could see our Father as our Heavenly Father. We could trust Him, we could have a relationship with Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is your Father, that you've been adopted into His family? Because if you do, let that change your heart about how you love your children. You love other people's children. You love one another. You love your neighbor. Let that change your heart. Let his willingness to suffer to bring you into his family equip you to have a mindset to be willing to suffer for the same reason.